Welcome to the Breaking Stars podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. A wise man once said, everybody want to be a beast until it's time to do what beasts do. You got to fall in love with the hunt and you got to fall in love with the process. On today's episode, we interview a real beast named Tiger Shen, who's been a software engineer since he was 16 years old. He's not a prodigy, and he talks about the process that he followed in high school to go from making Twitter clones to meeting Jack Dorsey. He also goes on to talk about how it's not enough to break into startups. You got to learn how to navigate corporate politics. I'll say that again. You got to learn how to navigate corporate politics. You got to learn how to communicate. You got to learn how to get people to respect your work, work in teams, get promoted, and prepare for your next venture. With that in mind, he decided to go to Bradfield to level up. He goes on to detail to talk about how Bradfield compares to college, the gaps that bootcamp graduates face, and how Bradfield wants to help people from non-traditional backgrounds learn how to be VPs of engineering. While we are going to continue sharing more episodes of On Breaking Stars about people breaking into tech, we are also going to start releasing episodes from some of the most experienced people in the tech industry that will teach you how to be a 10x engineer, product manager, sales leader, marketer, data scientist after you get your first job. In addition to that, we will start doing more subject-focused episodes from some well-known leaders on each subject. So thank you to all over 300 of you in the Breaking Stars community that have filled out our polls. As many of you know, most interviews fail for non-technical readings. So if you are inspired by this episode and want to learn more about how to tell your story from a position of power, whether you are inexperienced or experienced, make sure that you sign up to our five-step challenge at breakingintostars.com slash challenge. Finally, if you need help getting connected to resources, don't just join our Facebook page, but check out our recommended resources page at breakingintostartups.com slash resources. Now, without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, yo, yo. This is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies R10 Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking the Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah. So today we're actually sitting here at App Academy. It's a Friday morning. It's uh, 8 a.m. And we're doing something different today. So we're not just recording the episode, but we're also streaming the Facebook Live video on Facebook. So after you get to listen to this episode, and I'm assuming you're probably in your car or at the gym listening to this episode, make sure to go online and then you'll be able to actually see the video of our guest Tiger and uh, Ruben Arthur and I do the interview. And where can they find the video? It's in our Facebook group or our Facebook page. So we'll link to it in the show notes. But without further ado, Ruben, can you please introduce the guest? Yeah, man. Thank you, Timo. So we're here with Tiger Shen, who is not only the youngest engineer that we've ever interviewed on the podcast, but he's been working since he was 16 years old as an engineer. He's a self-taught guy. He worked at several companies, Caviar, before it was acquired by Square at Square and also Braintree. So not only is he good at engineering, but he also knows how to pick them. He has this basketball shirt on right now, Lakers versus the Bulls, great teams. And we, you know the Cavs and Warriors are going down right now. You're from the Bay. Are you Are you a Warriors fan or like what's going on? So I, I'm actually, I grew up uh, as a Lakers fan. I can't get with all the bandwagoners what? out here. So. Did you see how Durant pulled that move on LeBron? That was, he that slipped, was, man. That's pretty he nasty. slipped, man. <laughs> Come on now. All good, all good. But you're pretty into gaming. How'd you get into tech? So... Yeah, honestly, I was just really bored in high school uh, when I was 14 years old around. Yeah, I would just get home from school every day. I was on the basketball team. I'd get home from practice every day. I'd be kind of physically worn out, but my brain was still going like a thousand miles an hour. And I wanted something to fill up that time and, and to take up that energy. So my older brother is actually a software engineer. And I asked him like, hey, if I want to start programming, like, what do you recommend? And so what he told me is basically, yeah, I hear about this framework called Ruby on Rails. It's supposed to be like a good introduction, beginner's thing, and it won't be too difficult to start off with. 
So he linked me to actually Michael Hurdle's Rails tutorial online. And that's how that's you how I got started. So that's actually one of the tutorials that I think App Academy recommends it to their students who are just starting to learn. I know I took the tutorial can, when can I was Can you spell learning. it out for the people? Um, we'll include the link uh, yeah. in the show notes, but yeah. it's basically like a, a step-by-step guide. It's about uh, 100 pages. Got it, it literally tells you the commands that you can put into your terminal okay. to build an app. Nice. Uh, so I, I was just curious. So like when you were doing it, did you get it on your first time or how did, like, what was your experience with the book? Yeah. So honestly, I kind of approached it. I was, I was really stubborn with it. I so the like main app, the final product after you've gone through the book is kind of a Twitter clone where you have like you can make posts and you can follow people and you can have people follow you. And you have like a feed where you can view everybody you followed. That's pretty cool. All their all their like posts pretty much. And so yeah, the first time I went through, I was doing a lot of copy pasting. It was really slow. Like I didn't know any keyboard shortcuts or anything. I was like copy paste my text editor, like save and run the command in the terminal and go like reload my web browser, see what was broken. And yeah, I mean, that wasn't, that's not really an effective way to learn, but I kind of got through, through it that way, saw the final product, like, hey, that's cool, but I don't think I really understand what's going on here at all. I just know that like I, I put in the sequence of commands and, and stuff kind of popped out the other end. So what I did was I redid the exact same thing from scratch and tried to only refer to the book where I felt like I needed to, where I got like completely hung up. So I did that, got all the way through the end again. I was like, okay, I made the exact same thing. And this time I like only used 90% of the book. I did that actually three more times. So I built the exact same Twitter app in Ruby <laughs> so on Rails. Five times in five total. Times. Yeah. And yeah, that was completely mind numbing. How many hours would you say? Like how much time did it take you to go through it five times? Oh, that's kind of tough to say. A lot. Yeah, <laughs> a lot. A lot yeah. Of time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, time kind of goes by, like it kind of flies like at that age. And you were doing it like during high school. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's an important point that the first time, especially when you pick up a book on how to build a web app, you're probably not going to get a lot of it. And I think that's where a lot of people give up and they uh, stop trying when they just come up to the conclusion that it's not for them. So I think it's normal for you to understand maybe 10% of the tutorial the first time around. But if you keep doing it again and again, like Tiger said, and I used to think I took the tutorial three times and with most tutorials that I take, whenever I want to learn a new technology, I do it at least three times. Mm-hmm. So to all the listeners out there who are thinking about coding, just don't give up. Yeah, it's yeah. like practicing yeah. your instrument. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, I think it actually benefited me. Like I was so naive like that I thought, okay, like I thought programming was like this mythical, like only the very smartest people in the world could program computers. And so I kind of expected it to not be easy. So yeah, that's why I was kind of willing to go through it five times. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm putting in the work. I'm putting in the work. And uh, and I'm actually curious, what was your impression of coding? Because you mentioned that you thought, initially you thought that programming was like rocket science. And then yeah. once you started doing it yourself, kind of what was your impression at 14? Yeah, totally. I mean, I enjoyed it enough to keep going. I think like there's like, I was really like, I guess, infatuated with the final product, right? Like the fact that I just had my computer and I mean, it's a story you kind of hear a lot, but for me, it's true. Um, you, you just have your computer and you're literally just like typing things in and like you can see a result and you can like tweak a little thing and you can see like see it change. And that got kind of addicting to me. But what, what kind of sacrifices were you making? We talked a little bit in the pre-chat that you come from a traditional family, like everybody values education. Were you doing bad in your classes? or Right. So I was doing fine in school, I think. Yeah. Like my grades weren't slipping at all. Like throughout this whole process when I was learning programming, for a lot of it, it was kind of just like a hobby and it was something to occupy my time. Yeah. I mean, at that point, I still really expected to just go to college. I might study CS. I wasn't really sure at the time, but I wasn't, yeah, I didn't really view it as a career path or anything. I mean, your grades definitely weren't bad. You graduated at 16. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. So take us to, so you took this Michael Hurdle tutorial a few times. What were your next steps and what did you do like next? Cool. So I kind of went all the way from like the bottom of the spectrum, which is like, oh, I could never program. I kind of flew a little bit too far to the other end, which is like, okay, I've done it five times. Man, I can like make web apps now. Like, what's, <laughs> what's the big deal? And so again, I was super naive. And so I started, uh, I was like, okay, maybe like I'm, I'm like super good now. I can, <laughs> I can work for somebody. And what I did was I just kind of annoyed a bunch of people. I went through like the YC mailing list and went through a bunch of intern postings online. 
I'm assuming those intern postings were for college interns. Yeah, mostly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, like I'd say 90% of the responses, like 90% of the responses I got, 90% of the companies never responded to me. I'd say like 9% of the companies were like, hey, like we're looking for people older than you. And then I sent out, and it's a numbers game, right? I sent out enough emails that that, mm-hmm. that 1% that got back to me actually willing to hear me out. Nice. And like, do you think people were kind of taking it back a little bit when they find out you were 15? <laughs> yeah. I, so like I've kind of flip-flopped on this. Like part of me wants to kind of like hide my age. I don't want to be like treated any differently just because I'm younger than other people. I want to be kind of evaluated on the same scale, on the same grade. And I want like my own accomplishments, my work to kind of speak for itself. The other part of me is like, hey, it's a marketing thing, right? Like people, if I kind of market myself as being 15 and wanting to get into this industry, then maybe that'll catch people's attention enough for them to listen to me. Yeah. You, you got to own your story, who you are. Yeah. yeah. So like eventually I kind of landed on that second point. And so I would just be open with it. Like, hey, I know I'm a lot younger than most of your candidates, but like, hear me out. But and, I could do the work. That's yeah, all that matters. Right, so you right. so you got the offer to do caviar while you're still in high school yeah, at yeah, 15. Yeah. So can you talk about like how you balance both of those things and cool. what your teachers thought? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, where I ended up getting an internship was at Caviar, it's a food delivery startup that was eventually acquired by Square. And right, I was at in school at the time. So I think I like first got in touch with them around February, March. I was like, cool, like so this can be I mean their their CTO was like super open. They actually weren't planning to have interns, I believe, but their CTO was like, Yeah, I mean, if you can if you can do the work. Like we'll pay you in food, pretty much. And so <laughs> I was like, "All right, sounds sounds like a plan." And so these were unpaid internships. Yeah, yeah. The okay. first one at Caviar was unpaid. And I think it's important, it's important also for people yeah. to realize that, like, all you need is that experience the first time around. Mm-hmm. And some people are very like money driven, so they're like, "Hey, I want to make ten, twenty bucks an hour for my internship." Or the alternative is like, if you work at Subway, you might yeah. make minimum wage. But you also got to approach it from like the long term perspective yeah. that doing something, just getting paid in food will later on lead to a lot more opportunities. And it sounds like in your case, it actually worked out pretty well. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to front like yeah. I, I chose unpaid, overpaid. Like if someone had offered me money, yeah. I would have taken it. But <laughs> yeah. uh, You just needed to get your foot through. Like, yeah. You also were able to be at a company that got acquired, which yeah. is like a nice W on your record. Yeah. I mean, that was a, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to act like I had anything really to do with like <laughs> the acquisition. Yeah. They, they didn't look at my code and were like, oh, we need that. <laughs> um, but that's very dope. And so, but yeah. So we like, I was like, okay, cool. Like, this is going to be a summer thing. And like the CTO and the other, there's at that time, the team was CTO, two engineers, and then it would be me. And he was like, I mean, like if you're bored, like you told me you're really bored right now, why not just start working now? And so I would go in, I started going in a couple of days a week after school. And yeah, I mean, I was always kind of like talkative in class. And my teachers didn't really appreciate that. Uh, so eventually what it turned into was I kind of cut a deal with some of them. And I was like, hey, if you want me to shut up, like, is it cool if I'm on my computer? If I'm on a computer, like, I'm not going to I'm not going to be uh, talking to other people. And so some of them were OK with that. And so I'd also be working during the school day and uh, just kind of sit in the back corner. That's of class. awesome. Uh, so I had a question. So when you started working at when you got your first internship, did you have a mentor or someone inside the company? Who kind of who kind of onboarded you in a sense? Who might have showed to you like what a code review is? How do you interact on a engineering team? Did you have someone like that? Man, so it was only three engineers on the team, and there was so much work to do that honestly it was kind of trial by fire. I think that's kind of a common story at startups. But yeah, I mean, it took me like three days to set up my development environment. I'll just like try a bunch of things, like almost crash my computer a couple times, and yeah. And then once I got that set up, it was like here's a task. And I felt personally, I didn't like I was already there. I felt like they were doing me a huge favor by even letting me like be in the room. So my personality is kind of like, okay, don't bother them. Don't bother them. Like you need to prove yourself. You need to figure this out yourself. And I think in the long run, that was beneficial. But at the time, it was, it was pretty difficult. I would like, yeah, I mean, for even like first trivial tasks, right? I would be like, okay, I, I need to figure this out myself. Did you ever lean on your brother for mentorship? Uh, yeah. I mean, he's always he's always been there for me. Yeah, I think. At the time, I was kind of being a bit prideful about it in in the same sense that like, hey, I don't want I don't necessarily want people to think just because he has an older brother in in the industry, like that's just like cheat code and he can and that's like the explanation for everything he's done. Um, So, yeah, I definitely go to him for advice and whatnot. But at the same time, I wanted to make my own name. Yeah. So take us to like you graduating high school at 16, which is already a big accomplishment. And what was the conversation like with your parents about 
like were you considering going to college like or like entering the workforce doing coding bootcamp what was that conversation like and what did you end up doing cool yeah so i think the beginning so at the like after i got my internship at caviar like a couple months after i kind of made this plan to graduate high school a year early and take a gap year and that was mostly to appease my parents they like they're pretty traditional like the value of a college education and college degree to them is like astronomical and it was almost this thing where like if you don't go to college you can't really be successful and you're kind of destined to be a loser <laughs> and so yeah so i was like hey like i'm going to graduate high school year early like i'm going to take like all these extra classes so i can do that and like at that point like you got to let me take a gap year cuz i don't want to be the weird kid at college that's like younger than everybody else and can go to parties. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So they're like, fine. Yeah, sure. At that point, like during that year where my last year of high school, I was interning with Square, like still at Caviar, but after being acquired by Square and I was enjoying that. At that point, they started paying me actually, which is pretty nice. Nice. You don't have to give us the exact numbers, but like what are like high school kids make as when they're intern for uh, <laughs> companies like Square? Yeah, I probably less than the college interns, but... I mean, it was a lot to me. Uh, was so it above minimum wage? Above minimum wage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah. That's, that's good. what I was trying to get to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And so, so you, you're at Square. You did this gap year. You're figuring out what you want to do next. You got the, the traditional parenting behind mm-hmm. you. Like, how did you end up thinking about like Braintree and all these other things? Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a kind of fell backwards into it almost. My original plan for a gap year was take some of the money I'd saved from working and, you know, see the world, travel a bit. And at um, 17. And, and before yeah. doing Braintree, you actually went from like making Twitter clones to actually meeting Jack, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, uh, yeah, the, if you um, if you see my blog post, there's actually a picture with Jack Dorsey. What's, I, the, name of, kind of what's the name of the blog post? It's like leaving full-time software development work at 18. So we'll, yeah, put, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Cool. All right. Yeah. I published that a couple, a couple weeks ago. It's a great blog. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the story of that picture is just me and another intern were hanging out in... Like Square's office, Jack was like sitting five feet away from us, and we're just like, "Yo, <laughs> pretty dope. Let's go say hi." Awesome, nice. um, got it. And so, so yeah. So, how'd you get to Braintree? Cool. So, traveling was Plan A, and Plan A got squashed pretty quickly. I went online to try like book trips, and I was like, "Okay, like you can't really travel until you're 18. Like, there's just a lot of like basically, if anything happens abroad, I would have to like I would be kind of screwed because I couldn't like." I, I can't like legally sign anything or um, anything like that. <laughs> your mom cannot like come in and sign. Your, yeah, no like basically, my parents, like if, if anything happened, my parents would have to like fly out and come get me, and that'd be really embarrassing. So, <laughs> so like after I realized that that wouldn't like that's not what I would be doing for a year, I just started looking for other internships, and so I would just apply online. At that point, I had like couple connections from my time working, and so I would uh, I was just reaching out to people like. It's the same story again. Even though I had an internship on my resume, people were just like, sorry, looking for like junior, like like rising juniors, rising seniors in college, which makes sense. Like to a lot of companies, internships are like kind of a, a way to get full-time conversions. And so like at that time, my plan was still to go to college. So like I were to intern for somebody, I'd be going somewhere else for four years. And like, I understand the company's point of view there. Yeah. How many emails do you think that you set out? Ooh, I did it the old fashioned way of just like, applying to every spot I could online, which is like super inefficient, but probably, yeah, I wish I tracked it, but like maybe like 500. Yeah, something um, like that. Yeah. 500, you say 500. 500. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. That's wow. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Braintree in Chicago? Uh, yeah, their headquarters in Chicago, but uh, they actually have an office here. Oh, nice. So walk us through the process. You would apply online. The recruiter would call you, right? Yep. So how would you pitch yourself? Because a lot of the time we tell all of our listeners that it comes down to how do you tell your story? Because if you just tell someone like, hey, I'm 16, they're going to just hang up on you probably. So what did you tell them to pitch yourself? Yeah, totally. Honestly, like I think I didn't really get that much better as an engineer. Like I studied algorithm data structures and and, like interview stuff. But I think interviewing itself is is a huge skill. And I think I didn't, like from the time I was getting no calls back to the time I got like full-time offers, I pretty much just worked on interviewing. And I mean, that's kind of just the way, the way things work. If you like, you have like three phone calls and a day at the office to kind of present yourself in the best way possible. And so I kind of spent a lot of time working on that. So yeah, I'll get calls from recruiters. At first, I would kind of hide my age and be like, oh, I want to be evaluated like everybody else, all the other candidates. That was not working so well because I was not like, because yeah, they would find out my age or 
I'll, they would just be like, where'd you go to school? I'd be like, oh, I didn't go to school. Uh, and th- like, there'd just be a lot of reasons for them to not really want to listen to me. Over time, I kind of changed my angle and embraced the fact that, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be younger than other people. But hey, I've got like, that, that can be a good thing, right? Yeah. I've got a ton of energy. Like, I'm willing to work really hard and like, I'll come in and like, just give me the opportunity to prove myself. And that was received a lot better by. So by you companies. you turn your disadvantages, perceived disadvantages, into an advantage, right? That's yeah. exactly what I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. That's your superpower. It's good, man. So yeah. I started. I mean, I, I got a couple internship offers. It was cool, I guess. Like none of them were like the big like Google, Facebook, Amazon. I didn't even like try to go for those. I was mostly startups. Some of them had, had cool platforms, cool tech. I mean, at the time, my skill set was pretty much just Ruby on Rails web development. So I didn't have like most options in the world. But what actually ended up happening is like there was kind of a mistake at one of the interviews I went to. Like I'd submitted my application to this company to their full-time position. And like when I realized that, I was like, oh, shoot. And I went and also submitted one to their intern position. And we did like the phone screen and like um, like a technical phone interview and I got invited to an onsite. And when I was there, there was like some confusion over which role I was applying for. <laughs> and so I was like, they were like, okay, well, let's just like do the interview and, and see what happens. And yeah, I mean, I went through the interview and they ended up calling me back like a week later, like, hey, we want to offer you a full time job. Did you have to do whiteboarding? Like, how did you learn that? Yeah. So I honestly, like most of the traditional interviews where they ask you like a really hard algorithms question and you have to whiteboard it, I, I bombed a lot of those. I, I did a lot better on the practical ones like hey we have this problem we're trying to solve can you design an application that would help us solve that problem and i think that's like that's what i that's what i could do at the time and i i mean obviously i did better in those kinds of interviews nice um so yeah they called me back with full-time offer i was like whoa it's like really weird <laughs> it was like super low ball like i mean i would have I, I think i mean if i hadn't gotten any other internship offers i would have gladly taken it because i was like whoa full-time work yeah. But it was it was probably like half to a third of, of market rate uh, for engineers. So they were and SF. expecting you to be full time with paying you intern yeah, level. Yeah, so. but it was it was still like I mean the title right. Yeah, so, the title. Uh, so yeah, I took that and I kind of ran with it. Uh, I was like, hey, if one company is willing to do that, why not other companies? So you leverage now that yeah, offer. Yeah, so like, exactly, oh, exactly. And so then I started applying to full time positions, and I kind of like went through the ringer again. Honestly, like it was almost easier applying for full-time positions because I like the co- like the idea of commitment to a full-time job is a lot different than the idea of commitment to an internship. So companies would be like, oh, you, like you want to work full-time. It's not like you're just going to be with us for six months and then run off to college and like we'll never hear from you again. Yeah. That makes and sense. One thing about internships too is sometimes companies may need engineers, but in order to run an intern program, then that means that there has to be a mentor. Yeah. The HR has to get involved and like there has to be more handholding. Exactly. So a lot of companies are more reserved about giving interns a try versus if you're a capable engineer and you apply for a full-time job, I think they're more likely to take your call and like actually speak to you because they're like, hey, we're not going to need to like quote-unquote babysit someone. Yeah. yeah. So that probably helped you with and your chances. An intern is probably a pretty bad connotation considering that you already had like production experience mm-hmm. uh, building these apps for Square and Caviar. So I think applying for the full-time roles was definitely the right thing to do. When you were uh, like speaking to the companies and like trying to like leverage the offer, did you tell those recruiters that you already had an offer on the table from another company, or how did you approach that? Yeah, I kind of just tried everything. Like I didn't mention my offer usually until I would like get an offer from a company, right? I think that's probably good etiquette. But yeah, I think I mean obviously to like get to negotiate, right? You you want to have some leverage, and so like having that first offer. Even if the salary is like super low, I would I try not to mention the salary to other companies. I'd be like, yeah, I have another offer, um, Dope. competing offer. And yeah, that definitely helps. Yeah, It also kind of helps. Like you don't want to be like, if you're the first company to offer, to give somebody an offer, it's kind of like a big risk because you're yeah. like, wait, why didn't he have an offer yet? Right. Yeah. Like uh, you make yourself seem like you're in demand. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But you are in demand. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, that, that was just, uh, I probably spent three, four months continuing to interview. Progressively, I would get like, better and better offers, like roles I was more and more interested in. And yeah, I mean, one thing led to another. And I interviewed at Braintree. Their interview process is actually like very heavily practical. It's not like they have like a take-home assessment where you actually build an app and then your code gets reviewed. And it's not like it doesn't have anything to do with like theoretical knowledge. It's like the code you put 
in the files is what you're going to be evaluated on. Nice. And so, yeah, uh, I went through the interview process, thought there was a good fit. I mean, and they offered me the most money. So at, at that point, it was like July-ish of the summer of, like, of my so-called gap year. And I was happy with their offer. Didn't like I was kind of burnt out of interviewing as well. So I decided to take it and uh, started working like a month what, or two What would later. you say when you were looking at companies, what were the things that you were looking for and how were you evaluating them? Yeah. I mean, first off, like I think actually, like I'm not going to try to spin this in a positive light necessarily, but I think a side effect of like me not going to college or me being so young is that it was it actually kind of acted as like reverse filter, I'd say. The only companies that like responded to me would be the ones that are willing to work with somebody who has like an unconventional background. And I think like I like those are exact kind of companies I want to work with, right? So like I don't want to be even if like they're willing to speak to me specifically, I don't want to be at a company that's really like close-minded about the exact places their employees have to come from. So like that was already like so a good it sounds like point. that was a big factor. Uh did a things like salary or the level of their engineering team or the product what role did that play in your final decision? Yeah, I mean, I was pretty inexperienced. It, it's kind of like in interviews, it's kind of hard to evaluate that stuff, right? You have one day at the office, maybe like most of the times not even a full day. And you only see like maybe like at most three, four people from the engineering team. Obviously, you can ask them questions, but like most of the time it's going to be like boilerplate answers like, oh, yeah, I enjoy working here. The work is fulfilling. Um, so it's kind of get hard to get a feel for that. I think the product was usually a big thing. Like I can't really work on stuff that isn't. Like even if I'm not personally interested in it, if it's not like technically challenging, then it's kind of hard to get up in the morning motivated to do it. So yeah, I think at the end of the day, Braintree was kind of like a good mix of, of all of those things for me. Like salary was wasn't. I mean, it would be my first job, so obviously, it, like feeling like bringing home a paycheck is nice. But yeah, I don't have like I don't have a ton of bills to pay or anything, so yeah. that wasn't the biggest factor. Yeah. So so you got this full time role. So now you people you're in demand. You probably get recruiters hitting you up all the time. Mm-hmm. And so you could kind of like do whatever you want, but you decided to do something else with Bradfield and all these other things. And first, maybe explain what Bradfield is and then why you made those decisions. For sure. Yeah. So I, uh, I worked at Braintree for about 18 months. I really enjoyed it. Like I think to plug real quick, I think two, the two aspects of working at Braintree that were like the best for me were one, the industry. Like I didn't really anticipate this, but being in the fintech industry, there's a lot of regulations. Uh, there's this thing called PCI scope, which basically means if you're going to store credit card information on your database, which Braintree does, you have the government like regulates exactly like a lot of the practices you have to do. Like it even goes, it even covers like badging into the door. You can't like leave the door open for anybody um, at the physical office. And so what that leads to in terms of engineering, like culture is like very well put together processes and like you can't just like push stuff to master and see it to production. Like there's a strict number of people that have to review every line of code that goes in. And I think for me as like developing engineer, like that level of discipline and being in an environment like that where, hey, a lot of startups like want to move fast and break things. But there's also like the other side of that, which is like you have you have to make sure things are stable, especially when you're processing, you're handling people's money. Uh, so that was huge for me. That's also, good. Oh, yeah, keep going. Go for it. I was just going to say like that's that's very important, especially in fintech, because a lot of t- people that are interested in fintech don't understand the level of fraud and regulation, right, things like right. that. It's, it's huge. And isn't Braintree one of like the fastest growing? They acquired like Venmo that got acquired by PayPal. Is that yeah, yeah, exactly? pretty much. So by the time I started working for them, they had actually already been acquired by PayPal. But yeah, they're operating pretty separately at this point, which I think is good. Branded like a little bit more towards modern developers. PayPal has kind of a like old people connotation with it, so. <laughs> Got it. So yeah. the second thing was... Yeah. And the second thing was Braintree. Actually, it really appealed to me when I was interviewing with them is that they, they do 100% pair programming. But I don't think I really realized how big of an impact that would have on me. What that meant was basically I would always be pairing with somebody more senior than me, which means like we're looking at the same code, working on the same problem at the same time, sharing text editor, and like both of our keystrokes go to the same like output. And yeah, there's so many, so many, even just like little things that you pick up from working with people who know more than you, uh, like you just like Vim shortcuts, I'd be like, oh, how'd you do that thing? And like the feedback loop was instant rather than like, I tried to learn Vim earlier and it's like, you have to, like whenever you want to learn how to do something, you have to take a 30 second break to Google it. And that can be really discouraging. It's like little practices, like little syntax things, discussing design decisions rather than having to work through it all in my own head. And I think it's a big deal to get synchronous feedback, which is you like, I ask my pair and he answers. 
right away or like he sees me messing up and he tells me right away rather than like sometimes with pull request code reviews, the tendency can be like, oh, I don't want to piss this guy off by like mentioning a little thing. Those little things add up. Um, yeah. And so, and yeah. you pretty much got someone who's very experienced kind of apprentice you and like teach yeah. you and yeah. show you the ways. Perfect. Almost right? like back in the day, if you wanted to be a carpenter, you follow a carpenter. Yeah, Here, yeah. you're basically working with multiple experienced engineers yeah. Yeah. who have years of experience. Right. And they're teaching you all the shortcuts and like the industry craft knowledge that they've gained over the last totally, year. Yeah. It's basically like having 10, 15 mentors like, and getting paid. So yeah, and you're <laughs> a pretty sweet deal. That's nice. awesome. That's pretty awesome. So what made you decide to leave Braintree and decide to do Breadfield? Right. So like that's like, it sounds, it almost sounds like why would anyone in my position leave that environment, right? I'm, I'm learning a lot and making money. And, and you're still 17 or yeah, 18, right? Yeah, I'm still 17. Like, the world's pretty much my oyster at that yeah. point. <laughs> it still is. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, so around a year into working at Braintree, I actually met Oz and Miles, who, who are the... Shout out to Oz. Yeah, shout yeah, out to <laughs> They're the teachers at uh, Bradfield here in SF. And yeah, honestly, I didn't really expect much. Like, they at the time, they were like, hey, we're looking for like people with working web development. Or professional like knowledge who don't really know computer science and we're just wondering if we can get your thoughts on kind of your path and like how you feel about not knowing computer science and at the time i was like who needs it right like i got my job without it i'm doing my job i haven't been fired yet without it and i feel like i could like keep going without it like my manager doesn't have a cs degree right and and he seems to be doing pretty well for himself and so yeah like i listened to them i heard them out and like at first i was pretty skeptical right but when I thought about it more, I kind of like, I guess they kind of opened my eyes to just how much it permeates a lot of even web development. And like, can you tell the listeners what Bradfield is? Yeah, yeah. Cool. So what they were starting is, is this school where they have these small focus classes that teach traditional computer science curriculum that most people learn in college, right? Like algorithms and data structures, computer architecture, networking, databases, like a lot more theory heavy than writing web apps. But like, I mean, very important stuff. And uh, when Arthur and I actually did, Arthur did Hack Reactor, I did App Academy. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, we were actually one of the first two students to work with Miles and Oz to kind of level up. Because what happens in the coding boot camps is you'll learn a lot of like hands-on skills to how do you put up a web page? How do you set up a server? But then you miss out on things like in-depth understanding of data structures. You miss out on things like how do you break down a problem into smaller pieces? And how do you address that? And at least for us, Miles and us were able to help us with uh, those skills. And that helped a lot with interviewing for companies. But in your case, they actually expanded now to like nine courses, right? Yeah. And I think their biggest, I spoke to Oz recently, and their biggest thing is they want to provide you with an equivalent of a computer science degree, but not by having you attend for four years. Mm -hmm. They've structured the courses so you can take a course in a month. And it is uh, like, what would you say is the time commitment for each course? It's probably, I think each course can be like 20 to 25 hours a week. Yeah. And if you take nine of three them. weeks or how long is the duration? Three weeks per course. Yeah. And it's very hands-on and you work on projects, right? Yep. But then at the end of it, you're able to fill in the gaps that you might have missed by only doing a coding bootcamp. So it allows you to level up and then you can, in a year or two, start applying for like more senior positions and it's, it's an opportunity for you to grow as an engineer. Totally. I remember when you and um, Arthur were going through Bradfield and I think from what I understood, it's not enough to, a lot of people, when they get a job, they think that, okay, I got the job, I'm good, I got full time and straight. But for engineering, like the learning curve, like you continue to learn all the time and it's not enough to you know, just get the job, you got to figure out how to level up. And he talked a lot about 10x engineer. Like, what is a 10x engineer? What is all of that? I think what uh, Oz and Miles, uh, their biggest emphasis is they want to build the next, they want to be the MIT of uh, advanced education. And they want to build engineering leaders who are going to be VPs of engineering, directors of engineering in the future. And they also realize that in today's world, a lot of them might not necessarily have gone through the traditional path of getting a degree from MIT or getting a degree from Harvard or Berkeley. But at the same time, they are talented folks who did a coding bootcamp. So how do you close the gap? So someone who did do a bootcamp or someone who's self-taught, how do you close the gap so they can become those leaders and they have 
in-depth understanding of computer science without getting the traditional degree. So their goal is to provide that education for those folks. And from what I understand, and for the people that don't know, Miles was one of the founders of Dev Bootcamp, right? Uh, he was, I think at some point he worked as a CTO at Dev Bootcamp. He also worked at Groupon yep. and he's a very, like, he's a very knowledgeable guy. Yep. And, and Oz, Oz was like the former CTO of Council, which Bozzi, shout out to Bozzi, right? Mm. And then at Top Guest as well, which he worked with Jeff Lewis and yeah, things like and that. So. Those two guys, they're very like experienced. Both of them have been coding since they were like 12, 13. They got traditional computer science degrees. They've led engineering teams. And now they're providing a way for people who don't have a traditional background, giving them a way to level up and uh, acquire the skills like maybe you didn't build an, maybe you didn't build a compiler because you didn't get a traditional computer science degree. Well, you can take a course with Oz and Miles and they'll teach you specific things that will will show you how to do some of those stuff you might have missed in college but in a very compressed course and you only learn things that you need to know. Got it, got um, it. But I think Tiger can probably provide more information about the subjects that they cover and also the structure of the program. How long did it take you to complete online courses? Sure, yeah. It took about three months. First of all, to kind of bridge the gap between, hey, I'm really skeptical about this to like, hey, I, I want to dive in and quit my job, like dedicate three months of my life to this. And yeah, I think it was basically... I kind of had my eyes open to how like I was kind of like ignoring CS concepts being put to like put to practice around me because I kind of wanted to ignore them. I wanted to like keep living this fantasy that nobody needs to know them. Like if I ever like building websites is cool, but like who knows if websites are going to be the same, like they're not going to be the same in 10 years. Uh, And you know, all these like new like machine learning and embedded tech and VR, like there's a lot of new programming fields and old programming fields that are like that are just as almost like they're they're just as important as learning how to like write HTML and, and make animations online. So after I realized that, I was like, hey, the career investment that I'm gonna make here is yeah, I'm gonna lose out on some salary. I'm gonna like miss working on a team that I really enjoy. But like learning these fundamental concepts of basically everything that computers are based on today. Like that's going to help me for the rest of my rest of my life, pretty much. So that's how I dove in, and yeah, like I said, the format was three classes every three weeks. Each of the classes kind of was meant to mirror a university class, so it would be the classes went on the evenings and weekends, and they would kind of rotate. So Monday, Thursday, Saturday would be one class, and then Tuesday, Friday, Sunday, and yeah, I mean it was super intense. Like you might question, can you really get a university? like a semester's worth of information in three weeks. And I think my answer to that was like, yeah, if, if you study all the time, pretty much. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it was a pretty much fire hose of information. I was reading all the time, like always asking questions. The format of each class was, there was around six people, like on average in every class. And it would be a mix of people like me who are studying full-time, taking all the classes. And also people with full-time jobs who would take maybe one class at a time and they would kind of treat it as like it was more professional development for them. And like the idea there is, yeah, you can level up and you can learn this stuff even while you're doing full-time web development work. And that wasn't for me personally, but a lot of my classmates were like pretty into that and I respect that. Are there assessments while you're doing the program and yeah. can you fail out? I did not see anybody fail out. I think you would really have to piss off Oz and Miles to fail out. But yeah, the main like you have to apply to get in and they're very, very, and I think they're very, very strict about the quality of their students in the sense that like, it can be really demoralizing if you're in a class and there's like one guy who doesn't seem to care and it's like, oh, like, do you really have to be like that, man? Like everybody else is really trying to learn. And so I felt like everybody in all of my classes was there for the right reasons. And that was super motivating for me. And like, we all kind of pushed each other. It was, I think the biggest thing for me, I mentioned this team earlier is like the difference between kind of a lecture hall um, back and forth and like test formal, there was, there was no like formal assessment. But the biggest difference for me between that and, and my experience at Bradfield is kind of the, the level of rigor was different. It wasn't like learn this for the test or learn this so you can pass the class. It was, hey, like learn this because it's very important to know and you should know it. And what that led to is I'd say like the feel around the room was like, hey, everybody is going to be on the same page or like we're not moving on. We don't have like a schedule we need to stick to. Like you 
if the teacher asks you a question and he can tell, like sometimes I would like give a sheepish answer, like, oh, I kind of remember this from the reading. I'm just going to try to regurgitate it, which is like a lot of times what you end up doing in school. So I would give that back to the teacher. Miles would be like, ah, oh, no, like that's crap, man. You need to do better than that. And we're going to spend 15 minutes. I'm going to explain this to you until you get it. And I think that like that led to me actually ingraining a lot of the concepts internalizing them and like i think that was a great way so, to yeah, learn as an engineer now like even when you build web apps do you find yourself now using the knowledge that you've acquired from bradfield and becoming a better engineer totally yeah so there's it was kind of a mix of stuff i could the stuff i learned is a mix of what i could apply immediately and what would like is just good general knowledge to have like for example we i took like a distributed systems class generally when you're working on a pet project you don't need to put it on multiple servers and have them be coordinated, right? So that's kind of knowledge that's good to model stuff maybe later on. But stuff like algorithms, data structures, and like databases, like database tuning, and setting up databases and understanding how they work. Yeah, like that just comes up all the time. Networking, like debugging your HTTP stack or whatever. Yeah, I mean, like at this point, because I've learned it, it just seems natural. And sometimes I have to stop myself and be like, wow, like I... This took me 15 minutes right now because I knew like how to approach the problem and what it was going to be like. Without taking that networking class, I would have spent four or five hours, like hacked something together and moved on without knowing exactly what's going on. That's awesome. And so when when it comes, it seems you've learned a lot in a short amount of time. And there's all this controversy about school and how much it costs and loans and how much coding movement, like how much does Bradfield cost? You know, how much investment did you put into your education? Like, what was that? Can you talk about that? Cool. Yeah. So Bradfield does their pricing like course by course. I paid $15,000 to do all nine at the same time. I think it was like a, a bit of a dis- They gave me a bit of a discount there. I mean, it was out of my own wallet. So like I was there, like I'm, I'm in business when I was there. That's about the same price as a, uh, a coding boot camp, I think these days. Obviously a lot cheaper than college, but yeah, I mean, to me, it was worth it. To me, I got the good parts that I would have gotten out of college. Like, I didn't have to do any like BS general ed classes, and I feel like I got the education I needed. It was condensed, yeah, but that's kind of I prefer. I prefer fast pace. I don't. I don't want to have to wait up for anybody. So. Time, time is money, right? Yeah, exactly. And going, and going back to, you know, your shirt and gaming. You said part <laughs> part of the reason why you left your job was because you were doing things with FanDuel and DraftKings and. It, what's next for you? Like, are you trying to build a game, AI? You talked about machine learning. What's, cool. What's yeah. the future Tiger's gen? Yeah. Um, so at this point, I've kind of gotten the experience. I feel like I've gotten the experience of working on an engineering team. I could go back and do that, but I feel like I kind of know what that's going to be like. And so what I want to do next is actually, I'm moving out to Denver, Colorado at the end of this month. I'm going to be doing a startup there. Are you starting your own startup or are you joining one? Doing my own. Well, it's not my own. I have, I have like I have co-founders. Um, my brother and we have a partner. We have like a designer and a partner in China. And the industry we want to tackle is uh, shipping and logistics. So nice. I mean, yeah, it's not sexy. And no, that's sexy. I mean, <laughs> Flexport is doing a lot. On yeah, logistics, right. Yeah. They uh, they're, they're the big name around Silicon Valley in that I industry. Mean, Amazon, Uber, Lyft. That's a lot of logistics that are there. Right. Yeah. Right. Does South your brother live in Denver right now? Yeah. Yeah, he's out there. He moved just, out there. Just in okay. case you thought we forgot about family. <laughs> Got to keep in the family. My brother's yeah. coming through too. And I want, I'm nice. hope he's watching this because he's very inspired by a lot of people that are doing yeah, this. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. So before we jump into the, um, the lightning round, I actually wanted to see uh, what your approach was to learning. So at 18 years old, you graduated at 16. You taught yourself Rails and Ruby. Then you took the course with uh, Bradfield. I'm sure like all of those accomplishments are not easy to get. So how do you approach learning? What are your strategies? What are your tactics? And what do you do when you stumble into a problem? Cool. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I kind of, I do pride myself on my work ethic. I think I do work harder than a lot of people. I'm not going to shy away from that. I think like because of my age, a lot of times I've gotten the label of, oh, he's like just a child prodigy. He's super talented. And that's why he has what he has. I think that almost motivates me to work harder. I like. I hate that label and I want, I think it marginalizes just like my own drive, my own work ethic. Because you can be like, just from the stories that you've told us, you can be the smartest guy in the world, but you send out 500 emails to startups. Like you have the hustle. So it sounds like a lot of the stuff you get, you get, it's due to your hustle and hard work and just 
thinking outside the box and like not conforming to the norm, right? And it sounds like he's definitely, it goes back to that whole 10,000 hour theory and like, no pun intended, but like the tiger and the tiger mom type of philosophy. <laughs> yeah, right, I, right, just, right. You know, I understand if you put in the hours, like you're going to master the skill, right? And that's what you did. Yeah. And you're going to continue leveling up too. So that's awesome. Right. In terms of like learning methodology, right? I mean, there's all kinds of stuff online about like how to be more productive, how to learn stuff quicker, like all these techniques and like blog posts and whatnot. I've kind of read through a lot of those. I'm definitely interested in how I can like optimize my own brain to be like working at as efficiently as it can. But I think like through all that, I've tried all these things, like some of them work, some of them don't for me. I feel pretty confident in like the ways I approach things now. But I think the biggest thing is is a thing one of my old a saying one of my old basketball coaches used to use all the time, which is don't cheat yourself. I think like I just carry that with me and I think that as a theme for how I approach new things and learn stuff, I think that's the most important thing is you can't like you have to just be brutally honest with yourself. You can't like if you read something you want to understand, you can't like you can't tell yourself, oh yeah, I read it once, I get it now, because it's gonna be gone the next day. And so yeah, by don't cheat yourself, I mean like you have to be brutally like be like really you have to be your toughest critic essentially. And like when you're learning something, you have to like you can't stop. You have to like do the tutorial five times because even if you think you got it after one time, like And it goes back to Kobe, like you said. Like after (laughs) Kobe loses a game, he goes shoots eight hundred shots in the gym after. No, and so like you gotta keep practicing, yeah, gotta I mean, keep evaluating yourself. So. Right, I think that's that's what it takes. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Awesome. So at this point in the podcast, we do the right, uh, lightning round, and this is where um, Ruben, Arthur, and I will ask questions about some of the strategies, some of the tactics you did to break into tech. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you broke in at a very young age. So you have a lot of advice. So um, Ruben, take it away. Yeah. So you know, it sounds you're a very driven guy. I'm not sure if you ran into any walls or if it had any low points, but if you ever did run into a low point, what is something that you did to kind of like bounce back from that moment, whether it was like play a sport or listen to music or something like that? What's your routine for that to bounce back? Cool. Yeah. I mean, I think rather than like one specific low point, I think I kind of dealt with a lot of like pretty constant self-doubt about the whole like, oh, it'd just be so easy, right? To just go to college for four years, not have to think too hard, just like enjoy myself, come out the other side, get a job. And like having that as a fallback plan was just kind of a constant temptation for like even when I was in high school and I was like, oh, kind of debating whether or not I should try to do my own thing. Yeah, I don't think I have one specific like stress relief thing. I love to sleep. So if I, if I feel like, yeah, I mean, if I feel low energy or, or whatever, I think like I just take a nice nap and yeah. wake up and keep powering on. I'm like pretty like naturally optimistic. I don't get super down on myself. I, like. And I really, I realize like not everybody's like that, but uh, yeah, I, I can't really point to specific other than naps, a specific like stress relief thing. And for people that you know, we've interviewed a lot of people that went through boot camps, and mm-hmm. I know you did Bradfield to level up. But do you have kind of like a practical playbook outside of that initial tutorial that you would give someone that's like, hey, I don't really have all the resources to get that initial internship. Like, what's my playbook to get that internship? Is it just doing that five times, or is there a script, a playbook you would give people? Mm. Would you want like more generic advice for anybody or someone specifically in the position I was where yeah. like I mean, maybe the, you're at a, a disadvantage being younger than other people? Exactly. Being younger. Because like there's a lot of resources online and sometimes people get paralyzed in which direction to go. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's tempting right now to say like, oh, learn the theory first, learn computer science, because now I kind of realize how important that is. But I think practically speaking, you have to go with like you have to enjoy it first before you're willing to put in like all the hard work. Those kind of go hand in hand. I wouldn't have done that first tutorial five times if I didn't like seeing the Twitter clone at the end of it, right? So yeah, I mean, the very first thing you should do is just like, if you're interested in programming, like maybe you, you are interested in like programming like a Raspberry Pi and like automating your bedroom or whatever. Maybe it is building a web app and maybe like trying to start a side hustle with it. Maybe it's using deep learning to try to come up with some new insight or solve a problem you have. I think like just latching on to that initial... I mean, the word passion is kind of overused, but that initial, like finding that feeling of, hey, I'm, I'm doing something cool with this. That's the most important thing to do first. From there, I would say, like, th- then you kind of reach the point where you just have to put in the hours. Yeah. I think something that you mentioned that's super important is I know when I was first starting out, I was learning Ruby. And then after I learned Ruby, I re- learned Rails, which is the framework that helps you actually put a website together. It sounds like in your case, you just took a tutorial that like where you just build a website and that tutorial does use Ruby. Uh, so what is your advice in terms of should they learn the language first 
and then take the tutorial? Or should they just take the tutorial without knowing the language and then learn the language as you go? For me personally, I'd say you want to make something tangible as quickly as you can. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm glad I did do that tutorial first because I saw the website like, I mean, within, I took like probably, it took a lot of time to set up, but like once I was set up with all the tools and whatnot, like I could, like I just command R in my browser and I saw it. And I think sometimes when you're learning a language, right, you, you kind of just have text and like in a terminal mm -hmm. and you get, you have like print statements or whatever. But I think that's not, for me, that's harder to latch onto than having like a tangible thing uh, that, yeah. that you're seeing. So I would say, yeah, I would say like, Use all the shortcuts in the book and use all the tools available to you, even if you don't know exactly what they're doing, but get to something that you can play with. And then from there, like after learning, after going through that tutorial, I, I didn't know Ruby at all, really. But I could like I know that in my you know controller file or whatever, like I could put Ruby code and it would affect what, what showed up in my browser. And so that's that's where I kind of hooked it in. Like, OK, now I can learn Ruby and do mm -hmm. like, even better stuff. Yeah, that's definitely useful. I think to also uh, to a lot of our listeners, if you are considering building a similar web page, I know nowadays there's also websites like Treehouse, mm -hmm. and Treehouse actually has courses where you just go through like step by step, like lesson, and there's videos and they actually show you like what code to copy and paste. So I know everyone has a different learning style, and for me, watching video tutorials was more effective than just reading a book. Even though I've done both, I think. If there is something that if you might be held back from, or maybe you might be intimidated by like a couple hundred page book on how to build a website, you can also start doing that with just a video tutorial on Treehouse and then um, graduate to like taking the book. But I think the key is regardless of which tutorial you start taking, take it multiple times because yeah. that's how you solidify your knowledge. I did have a different question for you. So it sounds like you know a lot of the tech lingo, you know a lot about like, incubators like Y Combinator, you're pretty like involved in the community. For someone who is breaking into tech, what publications, newsletters, what websites would you recommend for them to follow in order to catch up and get up to speed with the tech lingo? Yeah, I think in terms of startups themselves, I think like even if some of it's a little bit dated or you may like people don't agree with all of it anymore, I think Paul Graham's essays are kind of just like the Bible pretty much for startups. You and Paul Graham was the founder, or he is the founder of uh, Y Combinator. Right. And he's, yeah, I mean, people consider him one of the thought leaders. He kind of is one of the fathers of the uh, whole like startup movement where you raise a seed round and you have like, you're building something where you move fast. And yeah, I mean, uh, Y Combinator's portfolio speaks for itself. So I definitely read some of those, like just pick the headlines that stand out to you. And I think that's a good way to kind of acclimate yourself. If you don't find that interesting, maybe like then, then maybe that's, that's a signal that you're not super like the actual industry isn't going to be the right fit for you. I think beyond that, the way to stay up to date is pretty much Hacker News, which is run by Y Combinator. Uh, that's at like news.ycombinator.com. And that's kind of like Reddit, but very, very tech startup focused. So you get a mix of technical articles, but you also get a lot of industry news there, like acquisitions and when people raise money, there's a lot of like discussion in the comments. Some of it, like there's obviously trolls like other places, but I think reading the comments there is a lot, the quality is generally higher than you'd find at a lot of the forums. So yeah, I stay up to date there. And yeah, honestly, like can't really rush it. Like I've read a couple like Lean Startup. I read a couple books like that. And like, the lingo, like don't, the lingo is probably like the least of your worries. I wouldn't get discouraged at all by people using words. I kind of don't like using like sometimes I, I just kind of use it because it feels natural to me, but a lot of a lot of the wording is kind of just fancy terminology. But I do think communication yeah. is important. Yeah, yeah. for a lot of people, like speaking to people in their own language, right, especially right. when you're telling your story, mm -hmm. and especially if you might come from a perceived disadvantaged perspective right. to demonstrate that you do know what's going on. But I think the suggestions that you said about reading the letters is very important, mm -hmm. and the hacker news and things like that. So that's right. great. And I think generally, like. It's also good to know, you might not have to use the lingo, but if you're speaking to someone and they say um, like, oh, like our startup just raised a Series A. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To someone who's outside of tech, Series A might be like, what is that? Like gotcha. yeah, raising gotcha. a Series A. So I think it's important, even if you don't use the terms, it's important for you to understand what the, the people are referring to. So you don't stand out as like someone who is out of the loop. Yeah. 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 I think that's fair. I, th I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, where, where I was coming from there is I had like, I would like listen to stuff or be a part of conversations. 
before I do any of these wor- what any of these words meant, and I would just feel really dumb. And a lot of times, I felt like people were intentionally like trying to make you feel dumb. I don't know if you heard of like Elon Musk, uh, like the email he sent out to SpaceX when they had like acronym problems. Oh yeah, I, um, I, I read the that's book. kind of like a yeah, famous story. Yeah, so I think that's kind of a trap that Silicon Valley has fallen into a little bit yep. of like, yeah, just a lot of like like hacking or whatever, like stuff yeah. like that is kind of a bit overplayed. And I wouldn't like if you can get the content of something or if you can ask someone to explain it a different way. And you'll you'll get a lot of those definitions over yeah. time, I think. Um, so yeah, all I'm saying is you don't need to focus. You don't need to read through like the Silicon Valley Encyclopedia or anything to be able to have intelligent conversations about it. Got it. Yeah. I guess last couple of questions. So you're from the Bay. Are there any like routine, balance routines? I know you talked about sleeping. That's important. Are are there any other balance routines that you follow? Because you know this type of stuff can be intense, especially for someone that's younger. Oh yeah. And I know like my brother sometimes feels burnout. Is there anything that you suggest for like balance? Yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, that's something I've definitely worked on a ton, thought about a lot. I experienced some pretty intense burnout actually after leaving Square and like in between my job there. And when I started at Braintree, I had like two months off and that's when it all kind of hit me, like all the work I'd been doing the past couple of years. And that was not fun at all. Like I just laid in bed all day and watched TV. (laughs) So I guess you could like, that might sound fun to some people, but I like my brain was completely fried and I don't really ever want to feel like that again because it was just like, crappy. And I so yeah, I, I've tr- definitely tried to make an effort to be a little bit more balanced. I've definitely, I'm a big believer that your physical health and your mental health are like intertwined. Like I played a lot of basketball earlier. Like I, was, I played pretty competitively when I was younger, but once I started getting into tech, I just worked out less because I wanted to be at my computer more. And I think that was really detrimental. Like now I work out three, four times a week and like some podcasts and stuff. It's just a great way to get my mind on other things. And yeah, I think like it's kind of weird. And I love when this happens when I am focusing on a really hard a problem that seems really hard. I can't get it. Like I, tr- I like spin it in my head a bunch of times. I, then I just, oh, fine. Like I'll go work out, come back and I like, have the solution. It's like yeah. almost magic. Um, yeah. You gotta, you gotta balance. And yeah. we, we should actually invite you to play ball with us on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. So 7 a.m. That's yeah. I'm a morning guy. So I'll, I'll, I'll send you the invite. Cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> and the last question is, um, so I'm sure you're going to be a role model to a lot of people listening right now, but who are your role models? You mentioned Paul Graham. Anyone else that you really look up to? Yeah, this is kind of like, I'm kind of weird in the sense that I didn't really, like because I'm not going to college, I'm actually talking, like a lot of my conversations are with people like a decade older than me. I'd say the majority of them are like, I definitely have friends my age and like I love them to death. But just as a product of like the environment I was in, like a lot of my coworkers at Braintree had families and whatnot. And so... I'm in, I think, like kind of a unique position where I have just like a ton of mentors and role models that I feel like I, re- I can reach out to. So yeah, I mean, in terms of like industry people that uh, whose opinions I try to follow, I think, yeah, Paul Graham, stuff that comes out of Y Combinator, like at this point, a lot of people have, are like onto it, but I think the quality of the content is still really good. Like Sam Altman and like I'm personally... A Peter Thiel fan. I know he's like really controversial. Zero around to here. one. Zero to one is a very interesting book. Yeah, right? I've read that. I think. Yeah, I've gone into like some game theory stuff as as part of playing fantasy sports, and he's like the most contrarian guy there is. And I think like you don't necessarily have to agree with all. I don't necessarily agree with all his viewpoints, but I think the attitude he takes towards them is like I think it, it's the world needs that right where you have people who are just willing to question everything and. Yeah, so when, whenever he says stuff, I think it's at least worth a listen. Yeah, I mean, like Oz and Miles, uh, like in my personal life, Oz and Miles are, have been really great mentors to me. Like, I think like the amount I paid for Bradfield is like nothing compared to the amount of value I think I've gotten out of my relationship yeah. with them. And people, just like coworkers I've met, like the CTO at Caviar, he's still like, we still keep in touch and I still like get a ton of advice from him. And yeah, I mean, like, I guess the longer I'm in the industry, the more people I meet and the more people like, I feel like I like build relation, relationships with and, and our respect. Yeah, having a hard time. Yeah, thinking, awesome. Like, no, that, that's well-known good. people. No, I mean, like, I mean, I think people are like Timo said before. People are inspired by you. You're going to continue to grow in stature as you are going from individual contributor to a leader to a founder, a co-founder, which is exciting. We're excited to see that. Are you open to people reaching out to you to stay in touch with you, and are you looking out for them? Sure. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I definitely feel like I I owe it to pay some of my my knowledge and my experiences forward because so many people have invested in me like to extents that I, I could never like hope to repay them but I can I can try my best with with other people who are in positions that, that I've been in so yeah definitely 
What's the best way to get in touch with you? I'm not a huge social media guy, so email is probably best. And if you can put my email somewhere, then then people like definitely feel free to reach yeah. out. We'll um, include the email um, in the show notes. Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm in SF for another month. I know a lot of people, like a lot of listeners, are probably here, so I'm down to meet up for coffee or whatever. But if you just like even even if you just want to get on a call or anything, do you yeah, want, do you want to say the email? You just want to just like keep it where people find it on the website. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like. It's kind of embarrassing. I didn't, I didn't get one of those cool, like just first name, last name at gmail.com. So I had to actually repeat my first name three times. So it's tiger, 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 shen at gmail.com. Oh, cool. Let's go. Cool. Yeah. Like we'll it. definitely include in the and Don't show you notes. ever forget it. Tiger Shen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thanks a lot, man. We're super excited for you. Uh, we're definitely looking forward to seeing uh, what your startup ends up building. And uh, we'll have you back on the podcast once you guys launch to get more info from you. Very cool. Yeah. yeah awesome. Uh, yeah, thank you guys. Yeah. Uh, Maybe we'll do a ski great. trip in Denver. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I'm trying to get into snowboarding. Okay, so snowboarding. Yeah. These guys were just snowboarding. All right, man. Cool. Peace. All right, thanks a lot, man. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.